0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing
1: America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA,
0: produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA on this Wednesday, March 9th. Before we get into the show, and we've got a lot to cover today, I do want to remind everybody, starting tomorrow, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I will be down in New Orleans with the team from AOA as well as the team from the American Ag Network. We're going to be broadcasting tomorrow from the UPL booth. That's booth number 5412 from 9 to 10 Central Time. On Friday, we're going to be at the Intelligent Ag booth during the show from 9 to 10. That'll be booth number four. 4116 and on Saturday I'll be running around the booth for the Iowa Soybean Association do be sure to come by and see us if you are down there in New Orleans for Commodity Classic as we get into the Commodity Classic folks I am sure that there is going to be a lot of conversations about the volatility in the markets it is impacting nearly every single commodity and over the weekend into yesterday one commodity in particular nickel one of the industrial metals went absolutely bonkers it has been one of the most volatile weeks periods of price action that we have never seen before in history it has been truly something to behold one man who has been watching it very closely is joe doe he's a commodities reporter with bloomberg and joe thanks for joining us today yeah thanks so much for having me mike for our listeners who might not be plugged into the nickel market nearly as close as you are, Joe, run us through the last couple days from Friday through yesterday in nickel. What happened to the price?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Friday we closed at about $29,000 per metric ton. Uh, and then uh, by the time trading had resumed uh, Monday, we saw prices nearly double to uh, $55,000, uh, which uh, broke a record. You know, I mean, this is a record that has stood for a number of years through some real supply constraints, and suddenly it just went crazy. Uh, and then Tuesday, when the markets uh, reopened again, electronic trading in uh, China, uh, you saw prices, um, again, double. And at this point, it went to $100,000 Um there was real fear in the market. There was a massive short squeeze going on. And I I mean, it's just unprecedented, right? I mean, nickel is, this is a, this is a liquid market that's traded on the London metal exchange in London, right? It is what everybody in the world trades for nickel, which is a key uh, commodity needed for stainless steel. And obviously becoming an even bigger deal because of its need in electric batteries. Uh, And, and, yeah, it, it got so bad that the, the exchange actually closed trading for the day. They canceled every trade going back to effectively midnight. Uh, and now we're sitting here with a globally traded benchmark that is not trading because the exchange is needing to discuss with members and traders how to unwind those trades and figure out a way uh, to fix what they considered a broken market.
0: Well, I think that's one of the most interesting things to watch in all the markets as these things have been popping. We get the market move. And then, of course, there's that financial ramification for the counterparties, yeah. the, po- the folks in these positions. Joe, what have we learned so far? Have there been any big blow ups of firms that are tied to nickel trading because of the spike price spike? Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
2: all of the reporting that we've done center around Singshan holding group. Singshan is a uh, it's a Chinese company. They're the largest nickel producer and player on the planet Um, and the company uh, based on our reporting had a short position uh, of about a hundred thousand tons so they're naturally long because they're a producer of of nickel so they put on a short position back in the fall Effectively betting that um, prices that had already been heated up in the market in the nickel market would pull back at some point, and also the expectation that more production would be coming online from other miners and producers around the world, largely because of you know the, the bullish outlook for the need for nickel in electric vehicles. Um, so when the price started rising, uh, you know, even more a couple weeks ago, when the war between Ukraine and, and Russia began, uh, prices really started squeezing higher. Right. And obviously, uh, Tsingshan felt like it needed to cover those short positions. And, and that's what really caused this um, old fashioned sh- short squeeze in the market.
0: So as of right now, Joe, here on Wednesday, we've got the LME nickel trading desk still closed. They mentioned this might be a multi-day closure. At least that was the discussion yeah. yesterday. Do we have yeah. any indication so far as to when this could reopen? No, we don't. The
2: The, the LME said that they would not begin trading any earlier than Friday, um, and then when they did resume trading, it would only be for London hours, which is a big deal, right? Because Asia is a massive amount of volume for this for this contract, uh, and and that they would only allow for ten uh, percent swings in the price. I mean, it, if 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 they're able to reopen Friday, that means they will have done a lot of legwork in unwinding these trades. They still have to talk to. I mean, you got to remember, Mike. There were a lot of people who made a ton of money uh, off off this move, right? Because they were in the opposite position of Shan where they were holding a lot of physical metal. Uh, they were long the metal and so they were able to sell it at these high prices. Um, so you're dealing with members who are going to be really angry uh, because suddenly all these trades that were at these unreal prices that they were making massive profits on are suddenly canceled. Uh, So they need to, they need to figure out in the marketplace what is uh, an agreeable price uh, in which they can settle all these contracts and these trades that happened, you know, on Tuesday.
0: Joe, given the volatility, given the shutdown of the nickel trading desk and the conversations you have with folks in that space, does does this shutdown make them question the ability of these markets to to find a price, to have the liquidity that's needed to, to get these participants in and out of positions as required? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a fair question, right? I think the question, I think really it's more a focus on how did the London Metal Exchange
2: mess this up you know the exchanges exist and 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 when they're running well nobody ever thinks of them right because you can buy and sell uh you know with with a you know with with the exchange clearing all of those trades and that's great that's their job that's why they're there that's why they make their money um this is a failure of that market and that means all of these companies and traders and investors who have trusted the London metal exchange to clear trading of nickel are suddenly sitting there doubting what is the the, you know, the major player of exchange for nickel trading. So I, I I don't know if I don't know if it suddenly just ruins all trust in in the market in general. Um, you know, because obviously people are still going to you know trade over the counter uh, and maybe you know uh, just between each other. But yeah, it's it's a major question for the London Metal Exchange. I mean, they they do volume for aluminum and copper and tin and all of the major base metals, and for nickel to be just completely messed up it brings in some
0: major, major questions that have probably not been asked in this market since the 1980s. Boy, it is something else. Joe, in the few seconds we've got left, are there any other metals that are moving with crazy volatility?
2: Yeah, I mean, aluminum for a while there had been crazy volatility because Russia's the second largest exporter to the world of aluminum. With Russia effectively being cut off from the rest of the world financially, the question is where do you get that metal? And I think
0: that's another one that people are really keeping a close eye on. Boy, yeah, no shortage of stories to watch. Joe Doe, commodities reporter with Bloomberg. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks. And folks, stay tuned when we return. Darren Newsom of Newsome Analysis will join me, and we'll talk about some of the factors that are moving in the grain market. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week? Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon SpraySense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making it a point to tune in to our show today. We have been talking markets a lot recently on AOA. We always like to talk policy and to talk some of the other issues that are impacting ag, but as we continue to watch this Russia-Ukraine situation, boy golly, the markets have been the ones that are moving the most. We heard about that from Joe talking about the nickel market. Now we're going to dive into it in a little more detail with Darren Newsom. And Darren, I know we've got the supply and demand estimates coming out from USDA later on today, folks, we'll cover those tomorrow. I wanna pick your brain about a topic that's getting close and that's springtime grilling season, Darren. Everybody gets out, fires up those grills, throws some expensive beef on there. But this year, gas prices might be taking a little bit away from the consumer. Are you getting concerned about how demand might be affected with higher gas prices?
4: Yeah, good morning, Mike. I I certainly am. Uh, You know, it's something that I've been tracking here you know, if we watch the, the beef cutout markets, I, I view those as a good economic indicator. Uh, and what we're seeing right now is just a collapse. I'm uh, probably a harsh word, but, but, you know, what we saw on Tuesday, the calculations or the, or the reports that we saw coming in Tuesday took us back to prices that we haven't seen since last April 1st, 2021. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing the market come down a lot. It's not hugely surprising because, as you said, when we've got, real costs, energy costs, housing costs, uh, fuel costs, all of these things going up as quickly as they are, uh, something's got to give. Discretionary spending has to be cut, and one of the key areas looks to be high-priced beef. Now, from a fundamental point of view, probably we'll see the overall cattle market, beef market come down for a while. To me, it still looks bearish long-term, and if that's the case, beef's going to get more affordable longer term. Just right now, as we head into grilling season, looks like it could struggle a little bit.
0: Darren, as you're thinking about price targets here, and I've just got the April 22 cattle chart pulled up. Boy, that has been a $10 correction already. What are some of the price targets you're watching either in April or in the summer months as maybe places this market could find some consolidation and await news of uh, how consumers are reacting to these higher prices?
4: yeah you know that's an interesting question and, and you know a lot of people say you know we can't really use technical charts here i i still do you know me well enough i would be targeting if i'm looking at the april contract based on the idea that the april june future spread is incredibly bearish i would be looking at a target between 132.45 and about 128.60 leaning towards the downside now that seems crazy because the cash market's in that 138 140 and april is tied to cash right now so it's, we're going to have to see the cash market back off. The Cash market could back off if the, if the cutout markets continue to come down. And if so, that would be the trigger that should continue to drive the April contract lower.
0: And all of this is in the context of elevated fuel prices. Darren, today we've got crude oil coming down. We're down over five bucks in some of the front month crude. Is the market changing its perception? Do you think in crude oil or are we, is this just a little pullback?
4: I've got <laughs> I've got some opinions on this. I probably you know, and, and you know me, I like to share my opinions. To me it's right now it's a little bit of a pullback, but I think it's also a statement for how the situation has been handled to this point. Rather than tweeting immediately that we were going to go into full blown sanctions against oil and gas in Russia, it's been done diplomatically. We've built up a front with Europe. Uh, uh, You know, now we're hearing about possibly Venezuela, Iran, and so on. Uh, And so the market, yes, ran up to 130. Now it dropped back down to 116, 117. Had had we done it the other way, had we just immediately tweeted out of anger or rage, we would probably be at $200 right now. So I think we have limited the rally to this point. Could it still go higher? Absolutely. Because summer demand does tend to pick up. We'll see if it does this year.
0: Darren I know you are a chart watcher and so I've been watching these crude oil charts and I'm certainly no professional but I saw some commentary that this market that we're in in crude oil right now really resembles the 1973 market with the Yom Kippur War in the Middle East do you think that's a valid comparison or are we just in uncharted territory right now
4: well that's that's the thing if you take it back far enough you'll find something similar but You also know me, Mike, I don't believe in analogous years because of chaos theory. There's always one thing that's a little different. Now, the Yom Kippur War back in 73 is closer to the situation that we have right now than, say, what we saw in 2008, when fundamentals were incredibly bearish while the market was skyrocketing on, on investment buying. So this, if I'm gonna compare either to the rally that we saw you know, in 2008 or going all the way back to 73, I'd say it's more similar to what we saw in 73, but it still has its own, it, it still has its own idiosyncrasies. Uh, and so we'll have to see how this one plays out. The first thing that really has to happen for this market to change its structure, you're gonna to have to see some of that inverse in the forward curve start to get sucked out of this market. Right now, still pretty strong. Today, we are seeing some commercial selling. It's just going to have to last more than one day.
0: Darren, when we're thinking about inverses in the markets, boy, wheat is an example of that. And you are a wheat guy going way back. We've finished that short squeeze, got that out of the way. Now, are we trading more fundamentals? And if so, does this wheat price continue to erode, especially in the May Chicago?
4: Yeah, i tell you what, that's a great way of phrasing the question, Mike. Are we trading fundamentals? I think we've been trading some fundamentals all along, but not completely. And now we're getting back to it. And the key to the soft winter wheat market I was, as I watched these, uh, as I watched like the commodity national corn, oh, excuse me, soft winter wheat basis index, it collapsed to two dollars under the May futures contract on Tuesday afternoon when the calculation came in. This is extraordinary. Again, we haven't seen this. Uh, we haven't seen this type of basis collapse in wheat since 2008. And what's happening here is, yes, we had a lot of investment, a lot of global money coming in on the idea you know, that we need to hedge or we need to trade in the Chicago market, and it was inflating the price. know, we were seeing $0.85 cents to $1.30 moves at a time. Uh, but the merchandisers here in the U.S. said, look, we aren't short of soft red winter wheat. We're short of hard red spring, hard red winter, but not soft red winter. It doesn't need to be that high. So they, their defense mechanism is basis. And so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing them just collapse the basis. Now, when that happens, the rest of the market's going to have to follow. Remember, basis is the heartbeat of all of these markets. And so when basis starts to collapse, it's, it's almost impossible for futures to continue to go up. It's what I call the, one of the things I call a rubber band disposition. It can't last forever. That rubber band's going to snap. When it does, it comes back to its fundamentals.
0: Darren, if it's the case that we have plenty of SRW, but we need the hard red, does Kansas City start to take off and run? Or have we hit a price level that seems like it's going to satisfy the market production wise?
4: You know, the the funny thing about hard red winter is we're at that time of year where, you know, we should be focusing more on, on the new crop. But everything got caught up in this wave of buying. So much of it. You know, can we argue that the new crop has actually outpriced itself, even given the fact I mean, how dry it is across the southern plains? Hard red springs similar with how dry it is across the northern plains uh, and the Canadian plains and so on. That argument could be made. But I do think our attention is going to turn to the hard, to, to the new crop wheats. Those spreads are still inverted. At least they were, uh, given until this week's um, wild activity. But we were looking at inverted future spreads, and that means there is, there was some concern long-term, and it has to do with weather. I think that's going to be the focus once this old crop market starts to settle down a little bit.
0: Darren, speaking of markets that have been crazy oils, veg oils in particular, soybean oil, I believe set a new contract high and that may contract in the overnights. Again, we've pointed to the Ukraine. We've pointed to the reduction in sunflower oil. Is that still the chief factor moving the the soybean oil complex?
4: No, I, I don't think so. I, I mean, it, it, we can tie everything back to Ukraine. So I mean, it certainly is playing a role, but what we're looking at here in the oil seeds is. It doesn't matter what we're talking about. If we're talking about canola, soybean, soybean oil, bean meal, Malaysian palm oil, we're short of everything. Every one of those markets shows an inverted forward curve. It's not just about sunflower oil. It's not just about Ukraine. It's about global demand for oil seeds, for vegetable oils, going up, and there's just not enough supply. Uh, there's not. I mean, my calculation of U.S. soybean available stocks to use is, is 0.1%. When USDA comes out later today it'll be about 7. Point whatever%. Percent. Tells you how far off USDA is. 0.1%. The last time it was this tight was at the end of the 2013-14 marketing year when USDA dropped its index stocks to 92 million bushels. We're at a record tight US supply and demand situation and again it's also canola. It's also soybean oil. It's also uh, Malaysian palm oil. It's across the board because global demand keeps going up.
0: So many things happening in the markets. Darren Newsom, always appreciate your insight, especially when things are this volatile. Thanks for joining us today.
4: All right. Thanks so much for having me again, Mike.
0: And folks, stick around. Simon Lester, author of the China Trade Monitor will join us in segment three. We're going to talk about just how Russia could be pushed out of the global trading system. Stick around on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. We're looking at the grain and livestock trade ahead of the March WASDE report due out at 11 a.m. this morning from USDA. Soybeans are a little higher. Corn is a little bit lower. Wheat markets showing incredible volatility again as we're sharply lower there. And we're mixed to lower in cattle and hogs so far here today. Private exporters reported sales of 100,000 metric tons of corn to Colombia, 20,000 metric tons of bean oil to unknown destinations here this morning, all for the current marketing year. Now, of course, we have our eyes on the Russia-Ukraine situation. Crude oil prices pulled back from this week's surge to 13-year highs to trade near $117 a barrel this morning. The ags have been mixed, as I mentioned, albeit near recent highs as they position for today's big USDA WASDE crop report. The ag commodities focusing on the other supply and demand factors today outside of Russia, Ukraine, as USDA releases its monthly crop report. A lot of talk about maybe some changes to South American production. Has enough of the crop been harvested to give USDA the confidence to close the gap with CONAB and with most of the rest of the local production estimates? If so, it has significant other questions to answer on what to do with the roughly 1.3 billion bushels of lost production in Brazil, Paraguay, and Argentina. Along with that, will they make any adjustments to the world supply and demand balance sheets amid Russia-Ukraine? Taking a look at a few numbers right now, May corn down 8.5, 7.44.5, and a half. And a half. May beans up eight and three quarters at 1698.5. Chicago Wheat for May, that is down 75.5, 12.11, May Kansas City Wheat down 72.5, 11.27, May Spring Wheat down 46 and 3 quarters, 1097 at a quarter. April Live Cattle down 47, 138.57. March feeders up 10, 154.12. April Hogs down 137 at 101.55. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting.
5: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart.
1: Information farmers and ranchers need to know.
3: AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson.
0: Thanks for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, on today's AOA. The past two segments today, we've been highlighting the volatility that's been happening in these markets. And I've got a feeling we're gonna continue to be talking about this volatility for some time. And a lot of this is being caused as international trading systems break down or at least Alter One of the groups that is responsible for ensuring a relatively smooth international playing field is the World Trade Organization. And there are some discussions happening inside that body. Joining us today to help talk through with some of the ramifications of this issue is our friend Simon Lester. He's the founder of China Trade Monitor, law professor and past attorney with the WTO. Simon, thanks for joining us today.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be here.
0: We've had the World Trade Organization come into the news more in the past two weeks than we've had for several years. And lately, what I've been seeing is claims for countries to remove Russia from their most favored nation status. Simon, fill us in. What does most favored nation status mean and what happens to Russia as that goes away?
6: So basically, at the WTO, there's this principle that you're supposed to treat all other WTO members, countries the same. Um, you can't discriminate against them in your your tariffs or your uh, domestic regulations. And that's referred to somewhat confusingly as most favored nation. Every nation gets treated um, as the, the most as the other most favored nations um, are, are treated. Uh, so that's the basic principle. Um, but uh, you know, when you have a country that invades another, um, people start to rethink these principles a little bit, and they think, well, maybe we shouldn't be treating the Russia the same as everybody else. Um, let's actually discriminate against them in order to maybe induce them to uh, to call off the invasion. Um, so, so what do you do about that under WTO rules? Well, there's there's a, a pretty big exception for um, security concerns, and so. So what a lot of countries are talking about is withdrawing their uh, most favored nation treatment of Russia on the basis of a security exception to say, um, you know, generally speaking, yes, we'll treat everybody the same, um, but you know, as an exception to that, if we're, if, we're, you know, if we're trying to protect the security of ourselves or someone else, then we can discriminate against them. So Canada has gone first here. Canada has a parliamentary system. Um, so when the government wants to do something, they just go right ahead and do it. Uh, but the U.S. and the EU are also talking about, it, talking about doing this, and they are obviously bigger economies, uh, so it would have more of an impact on, on the Russian imports if we withdrew this uh, most favored nation treatment and started discriminating against them through higher tariffs or import bans. So within the U.S., what you have is a kind of congressional debate and um, coordination with the White House and trying to figure out how exactly to do this. And as I'm I'm sure you know, as your listeners know, that that it gets a little complicated, takes some time, but that's the process we're in right now. And the EU has its own internal process. The US and the EU are considering this, but it might take a, a few days to actually make it happen.
0: So Simon, if this were to happen, if we were to see the US in particular revoke Russia's most favored nation status, what would be the immediate impacts? Are there any tariffs that would spring into place immediately or would this just open the door to more sanctioned discussions?
6: Yeah, it's, it's a little of both. Um, so what it would do is revert Russia, Russian tariffs to the tariffs that we impose on the two, you know, really bad countries out there that we hate, Cuba and North Korea. See, there's sort of a special column in the U.S. tariff schedule that only Cuba and North Korea get and Russia, we get that too. Practically speaking, though, it might not be that big a deal because, you know, Russia is not a a sort of complex economy that that does – produces all kinds of things. We only really import specific products from Russia. And for those products, as I understand it, the the special tariffs are not that much higher than the normal tariffs. So the tariffs Cuba and North Korea get don't happen to be that much higher on those products. But it would open the door. You know, once you've withdrawn the most favored nation treatment, then you can kind of do whatever you want. And so we could then look into, well, what are the products we import from Russia and, you know, how high do we want to raise those tariffs? So one product in particular that might be of interest to your listeners is, is fertilizers. Apparently that's something um, that Russia is pretty big on. Um, so then we have to make a choice. You know, do we want to punish Russian fertilizer imports with high tariffs, knowing that that imposes a cost on you know, American farmers um, who then have to pay more for, for fertilizers. Uh, so it's, it's a tricky consideration for any country considering sanctions. I mean, you, you, you wanted to have this des- the desired impact on, your, on the trading partner in question, on Russia, um, but you know you're causing um, economic pain to your, to your own businesses and consumers, so it's just a very difficult balance to, to draw
0: yeah, no it certainly would be balancing that uh, that trade-off between getting the goods your com- your your constituents want and proving a point on the international scene. Simon, as more countries look to make that uh, that commitment on the international scene, are there other ways in which the the world can use the World Trade Organization to hamstring Russia or is moving the most favored nation status kind of the the biggest thing they can do?
6: I would say in terms of the economic impact Uh, Most favored nation status is the biggest thing. There's also been talk of kicking Russia out of the WTO or suspending their membership in the WTO. I see that as a little bit more symbolic, um, but nevertheless, there are people who have been pushing for it. I think that it might actually be difficult politically. Uh, You would need the support of – it's a little tricky here, but let's say two-thirds or three-fourths of the WTO members – and if you If you notice this recent u n General Assembly vote to, to condemn Russia for the invasion, you had big countries like China and India abstain from condemning russia so you know if, if they 're not willing to just in a non binding resolution condemn Russia, are they willing to go along with kicking Russia out of the WTO or suspending their membership i 'm not sure they are um, so I, I think that, that that this is something that you know some people have been pushing. But I'm just practically speaking, politically, I'm just not sure how easy it would be to get done. So personally, I'm not sure I would invest that much effort into it when you have this other option with more economic impact that you don't really need consensus. You can just do it on your own. You know, any country who wants to make that point to Russia can just uh, withdraw most favored nation treatment, impose higher tariffs, ban imports. Um, And you don't need uh, the consensus of all the countries around the world to do it. So uh, to me, the the symbolism of of kicking Russia out of the WTO is, is maybe not worth the effort required.
0: All right. Well, while we're thinking about tariffs, Simon, we got you on the line here. We're coming up on five years since those first tariffs between the U.S. and China were implemented at the start of that trade war. They're up for review now, Simon. As you look at this, do you think these tariffs are, after the review are going to be kept in place or are we going to start rolling things off here as we uh, look at imports from China?
6: It's very difficult to predict these things with any great certainty, but my best guess is that we will keep the the tariffs on. I don't think the Biden administration sees a good political alternative here. They may not be that happy with the tariffs, uh, but if they, if they uh, withdraw them completely or even scale them back considerably, they're going to get a lot of criticism um, from you know, people on the right and people on the left. You have sort of the nationalist right and the progressive left um, who, who are pretty skeptical of trade liberalization in general. And so the Biden administration if they withdrew those tariffs would open them up to, open themselves up to a lot of criticism so I think they're going to conduct this review and you know they'll have to provide a rationale for why these tariffs are, are should stay in place and so it'll be interesting to see how they reason through it but I think their conclusion is going to be there's just no good alternative at the moment um, we can't we don't want to look weak on China uh, for political reasons That just you know, it doesn't go well for you at this moment in U.S. politics. So I think we'll end up just keeping them mostly in place. There might be a couple tweaks here and there. It's an opportunity to think about, you know, if there are particular tariffs that are harming U.S. businesses who need imports of, of goods from, from China to, to run their business, but I think mostly we'll, be, we'll end up in the, in the same place.
0: Okay, we'll keep an eye on that as this moves forward. Simon, let's also talk about China's moves on the international stage. We've seen Western companies back away from Russian investments out of oil out of commodities broadly. I've heard that China might be stepping in to make some acquisitions there. Do you think China's going to go ahead and do that? Will they be the next partner to Russia as uh, this moves forward?
6: Well, they, they, are, they definitely have been a, a partner to Russia, and they rely uh, to, you know, to grace it. They don't have a lot of their own oil and natural gas, so they rely on it for, for Russia. So I don't think they're going to cut Russia off. I don't think they're going to join the, the Western sanctions on Russia. But at the same time, I think they're going to be wary of stepping in to save Russia. And if they, if they do, they're going to be subject themselves to, to sanctions from the, the U.S. and the EU. So I think they're trying to walk a really fine line here, and, you know, they're, they're, they haven't really condemned Russia, partly because they're so mad at the U.S. in particular anyway. Um, but I, I think they are just, they're going to try as hard as they can to stay neutral and stay on the sidelines. And you're going to see, I think... Some Chinese companies may be stepping in to, you know, do a little more business in Russia. So, for example, Visa and Mastercard, I think, are, are pulling out of Russia. Where uh, the Chinese competitor called UnionPay might then take some of that market share. But I think they are going to be careful not to be the savior of Russia and just it, try to try to keep. They're trying to keep both sides happy. They don't want to aggravate Russia. Um, they want to keep that, that friendship, that partnership going. I mean, China and Russia aren't great friends, but they certainly you know, work together on things. Um, so, yeah, I, I really think they're just going to try to keep a careful balance and try to keep everybody happy. Um, that, that's hard to do, uh, but I think that for the moment that's, go, that's their, 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 their plan.
0: All right, boy, there is always something happening. Simon, real quick, before we let you go, do you think the U.S. is going to change our approach to China here prior to the 2022 election?
6: No, I don't think so. I don't think anyone sees a great alternative, um, so they're just going to stick with the current framework. Um, So, yeah, I wouldn't expect a big change.
0: All right. Well, we always appreciate your insight. That's Simon Lester from the China Trade Monitor. Simon, thanks for joining us today.
6: No problem. Thanks for having me.
0: And folks, stick around. There are some changes to livestock hauling hours of service. Allison Rivera from NCBA will join me in segment four to run through just what those are. Stick around on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
7: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
3: I like that too.
7: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
3: You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss
7: does not define you. Your drive shows who you are and you are not alone because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength a champion of courage
3: an advocate for hope you are not alone
7: because we are stronger together we drive the research for the cures we are finding
3: we're fighting macular degeneration
7: retinitis pigmentosa
1: Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this year? Be sure to stop by the UPL booth to talk with their crop specialists. We also have some exciting news we'll be unveiling that you won't want to miss. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the UPL booth on Thursday, March 10th from 9 to 10 a.m. Stop by booth 5320 or listen live at 9 a.m. on the Agriculture of America radio network. We look forward to seeing you at this year's Commodity Classic in New Orleans.
5: Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy to listen to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Moth, as I interview some of agriculture's best thought leaders. You'll have a front row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash
6: Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit fsgoldstandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next.
3: Oh, nice! Engine! Supercharged?
2: Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen?
3: Check, check, and check.
2: Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with Hemis.
4: So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station.
1: Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week. Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon SpraySense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture.
0: Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, thanks for tuning in to AOA today. You know, we've been talking on today's episode so much about what's happening with numbers on a screen, what's happening with with these things that take place on the Internet and, and in the markets and in the ether. But it's worth remembering, of course, and I'm sure all of our listeners know this, agriculture takes place with physical stuff. We're growing things, we're hauling things, we're making things into food. We've got to talk about where, quite literally, the rubber meets the road. And when we think about hauling in, live st- in agriculture, one of the areas that has had a challenge over the past several years due to increasing regulations, changing nature of how the industry is monitored, is livestock hauling companies folks that haul the bulls around the countryside get the cattle to where they need to be to turn into delicious beef well we've got some updates on the hours of service for livestock haulers Allison Rivera the executive director of government affairs at National Cattlemen's Beef Association joins us today Allison thanks for taking the time to talk with us
8: Absolutely happy to join you
0: Let's talk first about the hours of service rules I understand there are some changes coming up to livestock haulers hours of service
8: Absolutely. So once again, we petitioned FMCSA to extend the current hours of service exemption for livestock haulers due to the COVID-19 emergency declaration out of DOT. We got another three months uh, out of that extension. So we have until May 31st Um, to use the hours of service exemption as needed. Uh, They are still asking if uh, producers or haulers use that exemption to uh, go into their FMCSA system and report it, and a lot of our haulers know what to do there. But, um, you know, it's a good way for them to know when we're using it, but also to know that we have maintained this hours of service exemption for almost two years now, and we have maintained our high level of safety. This, mic is really going to help us down the road to show that our industry really should truly be exempted from the current hours of service because we can do it safely.
0: That is fantastic and it's great to have that data to be able to back up that point. As you think about securing a permanent exemption, Allison, what's a timeline look like? We're two years into this. How much data does FMCSA need before they can make a ruling?
8: I mean we have we've been asking for an hours of service exemption for at least 5 years now. It, it is it is a definitely a heavy lift. There's a lot of groups out there that feel very strongly about the current federal regulations and hours of service, but we're going to continue to push for flexibility. We got that back end 150 air mile exemption in the transportation package and that's going to go a long way to giving us some extra drive time, some extra flexibility to make sure that we are Doing things safely for the animals and for the driver and everyone else on the road um, as we finish those hauls. So we're we're making baby steps, continuing this exemption for as long as we can get it. We're gonna continue to hit that that talking point that we are doing things extremely safely.
0: That is fantastic. Just so we've got the numbers in hand. I know the current exemption went until March eleventh. So does this three month then go till June eleventh? Is that the expiration of this current exemption?
8: I uh, apologize. It is May May 31st,
0: May 31st. May 31st. All right, 31st, folks, you heard May it May
8: 31st for hours of service exemption. And then we're still sitting in that ELD delay.
0: All right. And highlight that for us. What what does that mean for haulers in particular?
8: So livestock callers are still exempt from the electronic logging device due to appropriations. Uh, obviously, we've, we've got an issue right now where Congress is kind of kicking the can down the road a little bit. We have another omnibus package that came out today. It does have our ELD delay, uh, ELD delay language in it. Um, so we're hoping to get that delay again until September 30th, which is the end of the fiscal year. And then we've already started the fight to get another year on that delay. But it is a year-to-year process because we are going through the appropriations process. But, you know, information came out recently that, e- that the ELDs have, have made the roads maybe a little less safe. Um, and so we're going to use that talking point and just remind everyone that, you know, that those who are out there using it might be racing against the clock. And that's what we've been saying from the beginning. We want to be able to haul safely and do it in a timely manner, but maintain that high level of safety.
0: Absolutely. Let the the folks behind the wheel of those big rigs make the decisions to when it's safe to start and go. Allison, while we've got you, I want to talk about the 150 air mile exemption that was doubled in a sense in the infrastructure act. How does that work? That new 150 miles on the back end?
8: So 172 road miles from your destination are free from hours of service. So, you know, one of our comments to FMCSA all along has been if we've got a hauler that's 30 minutes from his destination and he runs out of his 11 hours of drive time, he's not going to stop on the side of the road with that load of, of cattle. So this gives that flexibility where if you are almost to your destination, You've got another 172, or if you end up or if you, if you roll up to a site and they're not ready for you to offload and you've got to keep that airflow, uh, keep the airflow for the, the cattle, you can drive around the yard if you need to uh, and come back in a few minutes when it's your turn to offload. It really just gives that extra flexibility, which is what we need when we're concerned about animal welfare.
0: For sure. Allison, that was part of the Infrastructure Act, of course, now that is in the hands of implementation and enforcement. Do DOTs across the country, are they aware of this back end 150 mile exemption or does that education process need to continue?
8: You know, that's certainly been a struggle in this transportation space for our livestock haulers from the beginning, right? We are we are a small portion of the, the overall trucking industry. And so we have continued to push DOT to make sure that in particular, this information gets out to those state DOTs and gets down to the county level so that we don't have people pulled over unnecessarily, which obviously is not great for for the cattle on the back. But we've continued to say from day one, when that bill was signed by the president, this back end 150 went into play. Um, So if people are out there wondering whether or not they can use it today, they absolutely can. It is in law as we speak.
0: Fantastic. And that ELD exemption or that hours of service exemption is in place until the end of May. So thanks to Allison Rivera and the folks at NCBA for fighting on behalf of livestock haulers. Allison, we appreciate you joining us today.
8: Absolutely. Thank you, sir.
0: And folks, do be sure to tune in to AOA tomorrow. We're getting prepared to head down to the Commodity Classic in New Orleans. Tomorrow, we'll be broadcasting live from the UPL booth. That's number 5412 from 9 to 10 Central Time. And then on Friday, we'll be at the Intelligent Ag booth, number 4116. So do be sure to drop by and catch us if you can. Saturday, we'll be at the Iowa Soybean Association booth in the morning. Would love to catch up with listeners if you're there. Hope everybody has a fantastic day. We look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Here on AOA, Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Heading to Commodity Classic in New Orleans this week. Stop by the Intelligent Ag booth to talk with their specialist on how to overcome spraying and fertilizer spreading challenges and learn more about their new Recon SpraySense solution that monitors real-time flow and pressure of all nozzles on sprayers. Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live from the Intelligent Ag booth on Friday, March 11th from 9 to 10 a.m. to talk about these hot topics in agriculture.
0: Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You
3: know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind, like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type two diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners.